0: Hello, my name's Helen Russell. I'm a journalist, happiness researcher and author, and How to Be Sad is the podcast exploring why we get sad, what we can do when we're sad, and how we can all get happier by learning to be sad better, inspired by the book of the same name. Each episode, I'll be joined by a special guest sharing their own experiences. Welcome to How to Be Sad. Rosie Green is an award-winning journalist and columnist who spent 20 years writing about beauty, fashion, spas and health, as well as interviewing and styling countless celebrities. But she was blindsided in 2018 when her relationship of 26 years broke down and her husband left. Nothing prepared her for hitting what Rosie calls rock bottom, nor for the response she got when she wrote about her breakup and the devastation and heartache it left in its wake. In her new book, How to Heal a Broken Heart, Rosie writes honestly and openly about how she managed to move forward, about the experts, books and advice that can help anyone who's experienced a split to feel better and less alone. Her mission now, she says, is to share everything you need to create a truly ass kicking Plan B. So, Rosie Green, thank you for being here today.
1: Thank you for having me.
0: How are you doing right now? How is your lockdown going?
1: pretty good you know I I thought I would struggle with lockdown a lot more than I have because I'm a real kind of people person you know so I really kind of miss the girls nights and the you know I'm definitely an an extrovert rather than introvert but actually I feel I do feel like I've got a lot more space to do things and I'm very happy that the sun's come out I'm very weather dependent on my happiness (laughs) so that's made me that's made me feel great so yeah the, the long the short answer is good
0: You're doing okay. This is good. This is good. I loved your book. Everybody should read it. You are so well loved and admired as a writer with a reputation for being sunny. And you are so smiley and positive and glossy. And I wonder whether that made it harder to talk about, you know, this sadness and the heartache and and the fallout from it initially.
1: You know, it didn't. I, it's quite interesting that I, I am very smiley and I'm very positive, generally. I'm definitely glass half full. I've always liked and admired people that, you know, tell it as it is. So if you're feeling crap, you say you say I'm feeling crap. And actually I you know, I feel like I'm missing a bit of a chip, a bit of a pride chip, because actually, if I feel really shit, I I will tell people that I feel really shit. I didn't find that hard. I don't find it hard to tell people, friends, you know, when I'm struggling, or even, you know, even work colleagues and editors, you know, that actually, I'm having a really rubbish time. So I, that wasn't a consideration for me.
0: That's so great. I was going through old magazines the other day and I came across the issue of Red that had your piece in it and I was like oh my goodness and it just had such an impact reading it again and at the time are you still sort of surprised by by the response to that first article in Red?
1: I was surprised by the response to that I mean I kind of I I was really nervous about writing it I mean I always do kind of put my my heart out there and my you know my feelings out there but I I was really nervous about it because I thought there were kind of some accusations that could be levied at me you know that it was bad for the kids to read that, you know, it would be, that people would think I was a bit pathetic, that I was never going to date again because everyone would just, you know, I was never going to find love again because every man would think, okay, she's obviously, you know.
0: All those, those readers have read, yeah. Yeah,
1: exactly. <laughs> so I think, you know, I was, I was nervous about that but I and I was really touched by the response actually, you know, and it kind of, it did make me feel really supported actually and, and, and I felt the empathy of, of so many people, that it was, you know, it's a genuinely very positive experience
0: and for anyone who hasn't read it or has not read your book yet um are you able to to fill us in a little bit about what happened back in 2019 yeah well, it was 2018 actually because uh-huh.
1: um it, yeah he my husband left in 2019 but in 2018 so so a sort of little bit of background was that you know we met when we were very young so we met at 18 we'd been together for 26 years we, we were married for 15 years And he was the, uh, you know, I always said he was the kind of constant in my equation. He was very solid, very moral. You know, he was the guy least likely to kind of leave his family. I always feel guilty saying that because he didn't leave the kids he left me. So I must must not say that. Um, I, I sort of always had him as a kind of really stable, supportive, you know, backstop. Then in 2018, just as we were coming into the summer and it was that very hot summer of the um, of the Olympics, he started behaving in sort of slightly differently. He was sort of going to the gym much more. Was was kind of crosser. Was was just sort of saying and doing things that were really out of character for him. Then suddenly he he sort of said, "I don't you know I, I don't love you in the same way anymore." I would found some messages on his phone and I was like, oh, "What's going you know What's going on here?" He'd never been anyone that I'd worried about in that sort of sense so I suddenly realized that you know he didn't kind of want to be in this anymore and he most probably wanted to be in it with someone else you know and so for me that was just it, it was so shocking and I just couldn't believe it so then I spent kind of four months massively trying to hold it together and trying to keep him in the marriage well also like my brain was going 100 miles an hour he was telling me that he wasn't seeing this woman who you know he'd had the messages with and I was sort of couldn't Believe that, but wanted to believe it. So you know, it was just devastating for about four or five months until he finally left, and then it's when I started to feel my recovery could start. At that
0: point, you you're very um, honest about your your aspirations. I think growing up similar to me with a, a single mum is that yeah. similar yeah and how that you know the cottage in the countryside and the beautiful children the strong steady husband gave you sort of the base you'd created this life that was the opposite to the one you had grown up with do you think you realized at the time that you had been kind of very working very hard to create that life for yourself
1: I think I was always knew that I that I was desperate for that. Desperate is an interesting word, isn't it? I don't know if use that before. But I did. We're all desperate. Yeah, we're all desperate. I just, I wanted that life. And I remember, you know, I'd see the fathers. You know, my my dad's an interesting character. that so actually been really helpful in this whole split. You know, he wasn't, I didn't see that much of him. And he wasn't a sort of, he wasn't that big, strong father figure. I used to, just my heart would ache when I would, I remember as a sort of child and a teenager, I would see those dads in the swimming pool, like throwing their kids about. And that is just, exactly what i wanted i wanted that for my kids i wanted it for myself you know so i think i i I think i always knew that's what i wanted but what i didn't realize i don't think is that by sort of so carefully creating that i maybe wasn't allowing my relationship the space to breathe because i was holding on to that so tight you know and i think actually that part of the self-growth and the journey of, of writing this book and going through the split has made me realize that actually the best thing is to be your own, you know, to be your own backstop, you know, to be kind of comfortable with who you are and not need anybody else. And then in that way, you can be freer to love in a different way.
0: Yes, you're really good on that. I thought that as well about writing how you have to sort of be yourself, otherwise someone's going to fall in love with a version of you that isn't the real you, and then you'll never believe them.
1: Yeah, exactly. You know, God, it's all so, you know, it's it seems so deep but actually it's it's is surprisingly simple you know if you're kind of if you're happy and comfortable with yourself then that's who you're projecting that means people are much more likely to be attracted to you and also for you 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 don't need them and I think neediness is you know it's bad for you and it's bad for your relationship probably
0: but it's so common isn't it to, to we all put on our best selves when we meet someone new it's sort of really gauging when you let that go and just say, okay, be yourself and then let's see if this works out.
1: Exactly. And, you know, I think for my experience, so obviously I've kind of, I've come out of that relationship and started dating and now have boyfriends. So, you know, it's that it's that moment where you're like, okay, well, you're going to see me without mascara and you're yeah. going to see me when I'm really tired and you're going to see that I'm really shit at reverse parking. And, you know, that's a really interesting you know an interesting moment the kind of pivotal moment I think when you let your you know you let your barriers down and and, and they do too
0: and also having written about it and been so open about it which people are very grateful for you talk very movingly about your sadness at the time and the physical symptoms of it you know like overeating and under eating and I know you couldn't eat for quite some time and and just how it has an impact on every aspect of your life how did you find that
1: Oh, I mean, it does. I think it pervades every aspect of your life. And, you know, I, I, I was kind of slightly ashamed that I was saying things, events that should morally sit above that, you know, above a heartache, eh? you know, like sort of death of close family members or children's illnesses or children's wants and needs. Actually, I think nothing goes to the core of who you are, like romantic rejection, because, you know, it's almost like someone's just saying, "Yep, yeah, thank you, I'm I'm seeing you all there. Uh, and, and I'd like someone else please <laughs> you know and and I think that's just so hard for the ego to take physically and mentally broke me in, in a way that I, I had never been broken before and so yes the, the weight loss and then and then that I think because I wasn't getting the nutrients meant my hair was kind of falling out and you know I would have a racing heart you know I'd kind of just be permanently anxious and I think it also puts you into this sort of fight or flight mode so it means it in a way it means that you are more likely to be overwhelmed by things as well so you can sort of see things coming and you think okay I'm never going to be able to pay the heating bill ever again and I'm never going to be able to earn and no one's ever going to be able to commission me and my children they're going to you know they're going to be in therapy for the rest of their lives and you start sort of catastrophizing in a way that normally you wouldn't because you've had enough sleep and enough nutrients and all those all those kind of
0: things. And so what did you do?
1: I think the thing that made the massive difference was I always think in a breakup the bit that when it's coming is the worst bit like you can see what's happening and you know you're just waiting for the punch or for the plaster to be pulled off so in a way the plaster being pulled off the punch that you know him leaving him you know just me me finally definitively letting go of this idea that we could we could make it work I think in the really early days I got some sleeping pills for some doctor friends of mine and I know that's a slippery slope but actually you know in the early days that got me through because I needed sleep I needed to get up and pack the lunch bags and be there for the kids and do that and then actually I went back to the doctor to try and get some more and she said look I can't I can't give you any more of these not least because they stop working if you use them more than two or three times a week she suggested to me a, this antidepressant, anti-anxiety called sertraline, which in now transpires practically everyone I know is taking. But at the time, I thought it was like you know it was only me, um, and um, and that took about three three weeks to kick in, I think. And and then I could just feel I could. She said to me, "It'll just help you get a bit of clarity on the situation," and it actually really did. I mean, uh, it's actually my most engaged with, liked commented on Instagram posts, I just put a picture up of the search, Relene, and said, you know, I am taking these, because I I felt like so many people were looking to me for like, oh, how, how do we navigate heartbreak? How do we get through? How is Sometimes I thought, you know, people are like, how is she okay? How is she coping? And I thought that's such a major part of it that it would be remiss of me not to mention it and not to, again, there were all these things like online dating, search, lane, all these things that feel a bit uncomfortable to confess to but are really vital. I mean I feel like I should caveat the um the search lead with I did try to come off it and that was pretty horrific. So I think we you know that we need to <laughs> need to talk about that as well.
0: Yeah. And and also people are very. I think there's a lot of worry about coming off it. There's been lots of studies that, because of this, the idea that we get told that it's um, making up for serotonin that we're lacking. The idea of coming off it, we well, think, well, I haven't got enough of the serotonin. I haven't got enough it's of terrifying. It.
1: And I actually, so I, I mean, looking back on it now, stupid idea. I decided to. I'd gone on it in maybe the autumn of 2018, and I felt pretty sorted when I went in. When the last lockdown happened, I thought, oh, like the first one. Sorry, I thought, um, okay. Uh, I feel pretty sorted. You know, I've got a book to write. I'm really happy about that. I've got um, the kids seem happy and stable. I feel more stable. I've got a lovely boyfriend. I won't need to be going out to all these kind of events and part. You know, I'll have a bit of sort of downtime. So I thought, okay, this is the perfect time. In retrospect, not. So actually, I I stopped taking it and sort of went down and did like sort of half a tablet and then you know once every three days and all that kind of stuff. But actually, I did really plummet and my cousin who's a psychiatrist said to me actually you're not going back to your base you're going to below your base because what happens is you've been your pills have been sort of falsely making serotonin for you you know making the serotonin or whatever they do and then actually when you stop taking it you go you go to a negative because your body hasn't been making it has to learn how to make it again so that made me feel better because I was like Jesus is this where I am is this what my base is but actually it takes you below you have to think okay I'm gonna have a couple of months of feeling really shit.
0: And what then did that pan out that way? So I think it stops it's an inhibitor, so it stops it draining away. So it's it keeps hold of what you've got. It keeps hold of what you've got, okay. And did it then after a few months manage to get you feeling back on an even key I didn't give it a
1: chance. (laughs) I went back on it. so it did I probably was totally off it for about two weeks and then actually I then split up with that boyfriend and then my son got diagnosed with something and I thought actually and then you know lockdown it wasn't like the sort of fun cake baking thing we all thought it was we realized it was going to be in there for a really long time so I went back on it and now so I've got this little thing in the back of my mind saying okay one day you're gonna have to do this but actually the side effects for me are minimal so I you know I think I'll just wait until I'm in a really really happy sorted totally comfortable place
0: yeah It's interesting talking about your your cousin who's a psychiatrist, did you say? So I feel as though Team Green should get some credit uh, from your book. It sounds as though you have surrounded yourself very cleverly with some very great people who care about you very much tell me other ways in which they helped you and how that was important oh
1: you know and I feel so lucky and and sometimes I you know I get messages from people who who aren't so lucky and they're in situations where they're in a much more sort of conservative setup so you know they spend a lot of time going out for dinner parties with other couples or they're they they have not had the kind of luck that I've had of of sort of collecting these friends along kind of school work college you know all those things so I sort of, I worry about alienating people who don't have that amazing network, but I feel very lucky that I do. And yeah, I think in in a way it's it's so critical to your recovery. I think all those, those different types of friends, I mean, I have party friends who I probably wouldn't ring and tell them my sort of worst fears and feelings because... That's not who they are. They want to go out and drink rosé and dance on tables. And then I have the friends who are just really happy and prepared to listen. And I think for me, a lot of it is trying to remember, even when you're in the depths of hell, to be grateful and thankful. Because I think everyone responds to that, right? And also to sort of spread out the load a bit because you know if you're Mm. ringing someone for two hours every day and crying on the phone that's a lot for someone I feel like you have to probably you know you have to probably you know have a few different people that you're doing that to to kind of spread the load but yeah I mean I honestly they got me through I, I in the early stages like I was going mad and they were my kind of sounding board of like okay this is this is acceptable I lost I lost my instincts I lost my instincts for what was right and wrong. In what respect? Well, so um, I'll give you an example is that, so when my ex left, finally sort of left the home and he moved away and I said to him, well, um, can I get your address, please? You know, and he said, no, no I'm not telling you where I live. He was like, y- you know, you don't need to know that. And I said, well, I I think the kids need to know, I think I need to tell the school. And he was like, you know, that is controlling behaviour. That is one of the reasons why I'm leaving, you know, and I'd be like okay, like, you know, and, and I'd spent so long, I'd spent like four months trying to keep him to staying by being really nice and not questioning anything and not questioning if he stayed out or not questioning if he did various things. So I was still in that zone of just like, okay, I'll do anything. I'll do anything to sort of keep you happy. So when he said that, I thought, well, you know, is that true? You know, so, so I'd have to call my friends and they'd say, well, no, that's absolutely not acceptable. But I think the whole sort of gaslighting thing, which I, I don't want to make him out to be some evil villain. I don't think he necessarily even knew that was what he was doing. And, you know, maybe I was doing some of that back too, but, you know, he'd be so certain about things like that that if somebody you have trusted for so long is telling you those things absolutely in a certain way, it's very hard to, A, question them because you just get a wall of no, no, no back. That was really hard, but friends were invaluable at that point.
0: And I've heard you say as well um, of, you know you're saying not to put the load too much on one particular person that you're almost chain smoking chain calling your friends you'd pick a different one
1: I was so I would I mean and any time on my own would be the worst possible time and I know that you you know you touch on this about you know how to deal with those sad emotions and not push them away but I found any time on my own unbearable because it it made me think about things obviously so any phone and car journey any train journey any time that I was on my own I would call everyone and just work my way through and I couldn't answer my own questions quite often so I would I, I just felt like I couldn't I couldn't or I didn't want to so you know any kind of question about what he'd done or what he'd said or you know all those things I had to talk them through with everyone and they were all very very patient but it took a while until I can now take a deep breath and think, OK, what's my response to this? What's my gut feeling about it?
0: I think that's so interesting. Have you read um, Glennon Doyle's book, Untamed? No, and people keep recommending it to me. OK, so I need to
1: recommend that. So good.
0: Well, just this idea that and often as women and as people pleasers, we have been polling other people for our identity for much of our lives. And yeah, what do I think about this? It's really good.
1: That is really interesting. OK, I would definitely do that. What is interesting to me is in my work, I have a much more uh, tuned sense of what I think is right or wrong and I'm much more confidence in my reaction. And sometimes I have to sort of sit there a bit with it. But I, it's interesting to me that in work I can do that. But in you know my own relationship, I couldn't from that point previously, I would have done.
0: And how about because you've had to retell your story a lot. um, And, and I find retelling the story helps. But I know that you um, spoke to a divorce coach who says we might want to stop telling our sad stories over and over again. But as a self confessed, also relentlessly honest person, this can feel odd. I, you know, does it take some of the power away in the retelling? How do you feel about that now?
1: I definitely think Telling your story does take, it definitely reconfirms your narrative, I think. And there was a brilliant Elizabeth Day thing where she said, you know, that she found writing very cathartic because it it gave her a chance to, you know, put her narrative down on paper. And that that kind of gave her gave her a strength. And certainly, you know, as we talked about before, when I wrote that piece for red, it gave me a massive amount of strength. I think what Sarah Davison was talking about was like almost you don't need to tell the postman and the woman in the shop and the, you know. So I think it's about being, choosing who to tell. And, you know, I think around a split, I didn't encounter this much, but I did encounter it. There are some people who will find a bit of joy in the gossip. You know, certainly, you know, if... I don't want to sound like an asshole in any way, shape, or form, and I, you know, but if if you if you've got a life that looks enviably glossy from the outside, a, a slight joy in the sort of cracking up of that. And actually, I didn't encounter much of that, but I did encounter a bit of it. So it's working out who those people are, and not feeding them, and not walking away feeling like, oh my god, I feel so depleted
0: by that interaction. So actually, then that's almost. A helpful tool to get rid of the people who are have not got your best interests at heart
1: yeah and again and i think again you know as we were saying you know you've got a sort of slightly smashed sense of self-esteem and they're kind of you've lost your gut a bit so it's it's a bit hard to sometimes work out who those are but if you listen to yourself you will work it out fairly quickly who those people are i mean and as i said it's so limited but there was one woman who was a she was a, a neighbor I don't really she <laughs> know um, she um before you know before you know I told even best friends before Before I told anyone she'd obviously heard either me or my husband on the phone or you know talking and, and you know came and knocked on the door I was like you know I hear this is happening but you know and the children were in the background and I was thinking oh my god you know they're gonna hear this from this sort of like strange neighbor who I've probably ex- exchanged like three sentences with and she it was so weird obviously you know, it was done under the guise of helping, but it really
0: wasn't for that reason. It's that's like that old school kind of Midsummer Murders gossip. Yes, yeah, it was. Real. I, I was
1: genuinely shocked. I was like,
0: "Is this really happening?
1: Are you really going to do this?" You know. And she, I just, you know, it was so bizarre.
0: And you spoke earlier about you know finding your gut again and feeling off kilter and and wondering, you know, am I am I lovable? Is it me? And you've talked really openly about wondering whether we are less worthy socially if we're not in a romantic relationship. I wonder whether you think we have a problem with that in our culture.
1: I think we definitely did. And I mean, my mother was, my mother was a single parent and she's quite introvert, interestingly, but she, um, so she's the opposite of me, but she definitely felt, I think she didn't fit into that kind of neat, we're going to invite you as a couple. and And I have friends who who've been single, you know, for longer periods than me, who have definitely felt they've kind of missed out on parties and invitations and holidays and all those things, because it's not so neat. And I think there's that old school thing, which I haven't felt, of... People feeling threatened by a single person you know like other people you know like there was that classic thing like in the 70s and the 80s of you know the single woman and the, the other women thinking that, that you're going to steal their husband in some way and I have to say I, I I have not experienced that and I you know people have never made me feel like that and I felt so lucky to be invited on like family holidays and Christmases and all those things but I think it does still exist for some people and I think that's really really sad and I think ultimately you can choose two ways to react to that you can be really cross and angry about it which is understandable but ultimately not going to really serve you I don't think or you can say well actually for now those people aren't helping me and I'm not going to I'm not going to get bitter and angry about it I'm going to go and I'm going to go and join another club I'm going to start cycling or I'm going to start you know doing all these different things you know you and it's hard when you're in the pits of hell but you have to dredge it up from yourself probably
0: and how about how you feel personally about, you know, having your heart broken and you saying yeah, romantic rejection is one of the toughest things that we can feel? How do you build yourself up to sort of realise, you know, I am lovable, I am enough?
1: Oh, in the early days, I did a lot of Googling of people who had been romantically left so, you know, I've spent a lot of time thinking, well, you know, Jay-Z cheated on Beyonce and she's Beyonce, right? And a lot of time, poor um, Jennifer Garner has been on my screen lot, too often. Because I just think, I mean, she is fabulous in every way, set, shape or form. And he's basically like started sleeping with like, you know, 21 year old Victoria's Secret models and things. And you just think, okay, well, actually, it's life and it is not I'm sure that, you know, maybe she didn't stack the dishwasher to his liking, but, you know, um, but... She's pretty perfect. If somebody leaves you, of course it is a rejection of you, but it's often, I think, much more likely a, a reflection of where they are in their lives, what needs they have that aren't being met, that actually whatever you did, you couldn't meet them. Because maybe they feel like they've missed out on a wild 20s. Maybe they feel you don't understand and could never understand their job. Maybe they feel that they actually want a bit of time alone and they don't want to be a family person they want to be a bachelor you know and so I I think again Elizabeth Day I I found her really helpful and she said whether someone wants you or not or wants to be in a relationship is a sort of it's a massive kind of melange of, of the lens that they are looking at life through which comes from their childhood which comes from their work which comes from their insecurities which comes from all these things so It's about understanding their rejection of you is not about you per se. It's a rejection of of their life as it is or what they wanted or what they hoped and what they dreamed for. So I think coming to understand that. And then also, I think the thing that always really helped me, and I can't remember who turned me on to this, but this idea of look at it as your best friend would look at it. And, you know, actually, I knew my friends were looking at it thinking, Well, some of them were really sweet and saying, I think he's insane. And some of them were like, actually, this is just a really shit situation. It's a really shit thing that's happened to you. I think you're really great. I don't think you deserve this treatment. You know, I know that you'll be fine. I know that there'll be someone else out there who'll love you. I know you're a really special, lovely person. And so, actually, to try and Stop seeing it as, you know, feel it as your ego and just start looking at it from an outsider's perspective. That really helped me deal with it.
0: That is really good advice. Yeah. And I think your book is also filled with great practical advice on what to do when your life circumstances change. So you talk about going to the Citizens Advice Bureau, to lawyers offering meetings for free and taking a friend with you. Were all these things that you learnt the hard way or did somebody nicely and kindly take you by the hand and help you?
1: Again, like part of the reason I wanted to write the book is that I felt like I was so lucky in terms of the the people that I was surrounded by. You know, I have doctors in my family, I have lawyers in my family. You know, I grew up single parent going to a comp in Birmingham. I didn't, you know, but I have this sort of mix of of family and I realised that I'm very lucky in having having this massive support and I also knew that journalistically if I ever faced a problem whether that be like having rosacea for my skin or you know I can't find a swimsuit that fits or you know whatever it was before it was like much more um uh, you know, much more surface things that I could write about it and find the answers so I That's how the book came about was that I just thought I'm so lucky in being able to find these answers to to these things. So that's why I did put all those practical tips in, because also I feel there's such a there's such a massive anxiety for people, you know, certainly the legal stuff. And actually, I did an IGTV with um, this lovely woman called Lisa Conway Hughes, who's a financial advisor. And it was a really good reality check for me because it makes me realise, you know, there were, you know, obviously we all have financial worries. We all think, oh my God, you know, we were barely managing as a twosome to meet the bills. How the hell, if someone else is running a, another household, is this gonna happen? There are sort of awful things that people email me and they just say, look, you know, he's gone and there's no money. He's not putting any money in. I've got two kids and I haven't, I left my job because I didn't, you know, I was the carer. You realise that there's just really shitty situations out there. So how to help people fight through those? And the lawyer thing was one thing that even though I really, you know, he was very keen to go to mediation. And actually, I knew in my heart that I couldn't fight my own corner at that point. And, you know, lawyers are expensive, but I thought actually I knew in the long term that that's what I needed to do. So, you know, there is, I hope the book helps people in, in, in that sort of area's
0: yeah, that's really interesting. Yeah, so you were aware that even though this was going to be more costly, this would help you to just keep your, preserve yourself.
1: You know, I couldn't fight my own corner and say, that's utterly ridiculous, you're not telling me where you're living. So how was I going to say, actually, your pension's being valued too low or whatever? You know, I, I just knew that I couldn't sit there and fight my own battle, which, I mean, kind of makes me slightly ashamed, but actually, you know, i just taken such a battering, I think you know, I knew that I
0: needed that help. You're, you're also very good at tackling the more rolling up your sleeves aspect of newly single life. You teach us how to check tyre pressure <laughs> um, and any job that often falls under a partner's remit that can feel daunting. That was great also. Well, do you know what? I'm
1: not actually great at that, but I knew
0: that I needed to. There were so many jobs that were so
1: laced with hurt that I just didn't do and I just couldn't do. And, and some of those were opening bills. I I just didn't, hadn't taken on the bills in any way, shape or form. And some of them were those things like the car post. And to me, it just felt so unbelievably hurtful that A, he didn't care that I was driving around. You know, after caring for all these years that I was driving around in a car that could potentially be, you know, dangerous because all the kids were. Or, you know, I just... To me, that just felt so horrific that it sort of stopped me from going to, and almost, it was almost a slight sense of wallowing in it a bit as well, I think. So, So again, those were the things that I just thought, okay, I've just got to embrace it. I've just got to do it. And it was a sort of one, two, three, fuck it type thing. I just have to go and how hard can it be, you know?
0: Who knew? But you're also, you're also very funny and you talk about um, when you feel ready to start dating again. Can you share maybe your analogy for comparing various dating sites to their supermarket?
1: <laughs> well, I have to give credit to my boyfriend on this, actually. That was his comparison because I actually only went on two dating sites, whereas he obviously has been through a whole gamut of them, as we can tell. He came up with this analogy of being like, you know, the different dating sites being sort of similar to your different supermarkets. So there was kind of you know, at the kind of more elite end, there's this, there's this one called Raya, which, you know, you have to be a celebrity to be on and get kind of, you have to be nominated by six other people, which I think actually I compared to Whole Foods, you know, Planet Organic or something like Notting Hill. And then, and then Hinge, which is how I met my boyfriend, compared to Waitrose. So it's like, you know, it's quite a lot of, you know, there's quite a lot of choice. Everyone sort of seems to be fairly, you know, or have their own tea, you know, that kind of thing.
0: An essentials range. Yeah.
1: Exactly. And then, uh, and then sort of saying down at the, you know, the sort of lower, the lower kind of price point, the sort of Lidl where there's, there's a lot to choose from, but you have to be a bit pickier, you know, you have to kind of, you have to sort out the stuff that's really bad. And then there are a few gems in there.
0: It's very funny with anyone who hasn't read it, and the book ends with you rising like a phoenix, and and you share how you found answers to some of the questions you were asking at the start, like when will you stop waking up with that that feeling in the pit of your stomach, and when will you stop crying every day, and. that was approximately three months I think you said I think that's so powerful with the benefit of hindsight because all we want really when we're feeling anything sad like this someone to take us by the hand and say this is going to feel better in a while and here's how long and as a journalist you know that actually those are the questions that you quite often omit
1: because there is obviously no answer is there to, you know, everyone's going to be different, but actually the definitive things are what you're craving right at the beginning, right, as you say. So I just thought, well, I, I can only say my experience of that, but it does seem to be generalised. And actually, I think, that was what i really wanted to show in the book the book split into chapters of like you know that follow the same sort of stages of grief implosion denial acceptance growth you know these kind of things and actually even though we are all different we do seem to follow the same kind of path and, and my main aim for the book is that you you know you see people who are still really bitter or still really broken by a breakup you know decades on and i just thought that is what i don't want so There is no way really of speeding it up, I don't think. But there is a way of emerging from it, you know, more self-aware, stronger, happier with yourself, more likely to be content and happy,
0: I think. Are there any more of these timeline milestones that you've come to appreciate since writing the book, I wonder?
1: I, I was talking to a friend of mine who's sort of been through something similar and You do things and then you look back to where you were a year ago and you think, oh, my God, I was in an awful state then. But then I still think probably in a year's time, I'll look back to where I am now and think, oh, I'm so much better now, (laughs) you know. So I think the answer is that it, it does take a long time. It does. And there are times when it still does really hurt. So it's not I don't think it's ever kind of complete, but actually in a way that kind of there, there is pain a friend told me a, a brilliant saying today that said I'm sure you've heard of it I hadn't before though saying calm seas does not a good sailor make and I thought that was brilliant in that actually you know calm seas are great because you just have no work you're just worrying about your landscaping or whatever but actually it doesn't grow you really and it doesn't make you a a sort of a more self-aware a kind of Richer person,
0: and do you feel like a richer person now?
1: Yeah, I do. I do. I feel like, in a way, this was—it was a kind of gift in that it, you know, it's—it's it's given me a, a sort of third chapter. I'd say, you know, you have your youth, and then you have your children. And then I do feel like it's given me a third chapter
0: because suddenly things are up for grabs, and you—you you don't know.
1: Absolutely, and it's meant that I'm more authentic in my work, and it's meant that I have more of a purpose because I feel like I'm helping people, and so absolutely has given me a sort of an extra kick, an extra lease of life, but it still does every so often just go, in fact, my cousin and I met yesterday. And, you know, for a lot of my friends and my family, you know, this was somebody that was there for them. It's a real sadness for them that he's not there anymore. And and I don't think we've touched on that whole thing with friends and your ex, because you know a lot of people write to me and they'll say i find it so hard that my friends are still seeing them especially if they behave badly or even if they have not behave badly they've just said that thank you next you know and and i think that's a massive thing of how other people deal with
0: with your ex and how are you finding that
1: well i i have been very lucky in that there is very few of my friends that sort of are see, seeing him so i think that's a, such a weird thing when You know, you've been so close to someone and then you've suddenly got someone else telling them, oh, yes, he's just been on holiday or he's just met a new woman or he's just done this. So I've had very limited experience of that, but I think it's really painful. The other thing of kind of, you know, talking to people about how sad they are actually generally helps me, not because I want them to be sad, but because it. It sort of validates for me that he he was this sort of lovely person. And we did have some lovely times, you know. We didn't. It, it wasn't like I kind of missed something, you know, for a really long time. I think people just have to behave in a certain way if they're going to extract themselves. Sometimes, you know, so in some breakups, they, you know, to do something so massive, then they have, you know, they have to convince themselves that it's totally right, and therefore, and they and they have to leave and it has to be pretty horrific otherwise they wouldn't do it
0: yeah nothing's black and white is it it's the the nuance and how do you look after yourself now when you're feeling sad
1: i can tell myself that tomorrow is another day and i think when you're in it you just think i'm going to feel like this forever all the time and actually what i've realized is you do have bad days and you do have bad mornings and you do have bad hours but actually they go they pass so that is really helpful to me. For me, I find, you know, I have been a beauty editor for years. I have kind of written about health and beauty and those kind of things. And actually, for me, you know, genuinely, it sounds a bit trite, but getting my hair done or, okay, I'm looking really pasty. I'm going to cover myself in fat, fake tan or I'm going to go for a run. You know, actually I think running, I was talking with my boyfriend about, you know, this, this sort of, I saw somebody, a friend the other day is totally heartbroken. And she said i'm just addicted to him you know i look at him on instagram and do all that sort of thing and he said to her you know i i took up cycling because that that sort of became my addiction but actually it's a it's something you know you're switching the focus so for me i did a lot of running with a couple of friends and you know that served a double purpose of kind of getting out running so feeling good about the exercise but also chewing things over and kind of being out in the fresh air so those were the things that really got me through
0: that's good advice and finally what would you tell your 21 year old self now with all that you know about how to be sad would you change anything
1: i would say be brave and you know it was my i I think i had two real massive fears in life one of them was abandonment which i think probably you know without being too like overly dramatic came from my dad leaving when i was younger which i didn't think really affected me but i think It made me someone that kind of clung on tight to to that backstop. So I'd say deal with that. You know, talk to someone, read about it, have therapy, do those things. It will give you a kind of immense freedom. So sort of part of me wishes I'd had that freedom early on. And I think, you know, I always, because of that sort of conditioning, you know, conditioning myself almost, it meant that I didn't have a wild 20s and I didn't go and have sex with lots of people and i didn't go on lots of dates and i didn't you know i don't think i think i i restrained myself a bit so i think i would say go and really think about
0: that that's very good advice thank you so much rosie green a pleasure to speak to you
1: you too thank you for having me
0: Thank you so much for joining me today. Please do rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It really does help others find us and helps us to make more episodes. You can find out more about How To Be Sad, the book and the podcast online at Ms. Helen Russell. And take care.